it's that time again. You asked for it. We might have seen it, but we got him anyway. Man of many talents, Jamie Lenman. Jamie jumped on the phone with me to talk about probably the most obscure BSM band that's ever going to be on this podcast, Caretaker. Honestly, fair play if you recognise that band name, because I, I, I didn't. I'm surprised they're even on Spotify. If in this podcast it sounds like I don't know what I'm talking about, it's probably because I don't know what I'm talking about. Enjoy! So we're going to talk about Caretaker. Yes, thank God. Caretaker's my fucking mastermind subject. Far <laughs> away. <laughs> so we should probably just start off with um, when you first heard the band and, and what that, you know, what those feelings were when you first heard them. When I first heard them, I reckon the first time I heard Caretaker was when I got my copy of the Pause EP which is the first thing that they ever released. And it might even be the first ever release on Bad Music. Who Correct. Right, we done research. Bad Music, <laughs> I think, were basically set up. Rick, who is still my very good friend, set up Bad Music with money that he'd earned updating the news page on the... Uh, I think it was the, the Three Colours Red website or something similar. Mm. And they paid him a lot of money for this. And with that money, he decided, like a genius, instead of buying a jet ski, he'd start a record label because he's the best person in the world. And he signed Caretaker. And I'd heard that John Peel had played Range Finding, which was the number one track on the Pause EP. And so I bought the Pause EP. And I remember listening to Range Finding, uh, specifically that track, and thinking, this is like new, this is beyond my ken. It had a sort of a shambolic quality to it that I mm. really enjoyed the stuff that I was listening to at the time was quite muscular riffy rock like things like helmet and silver chair yeah very um american and sleek and chunky and there was a sort of a like i say shambolic fragility and brittleness somehow to what caretaker seemed to be doing especially on range finding which i still really love that was very different and very uh, attractive. And um, uh, I can still remember the tingly feeling that I got when I listened to Range finally, because it was just so unlike yeah. anything else I'd ever heard, yeah. It's got a um, unique essence to it that it's a little bit rough around the edge. It's not polished. Mm. It's... And it's not heavy either. It was sort of... No. You know, I never used to like the phrase indie, because to me, indie meant... The Charlatans, you know, and an Oasis. <laughs> yeah. And I sort of railed against indie. But now I can hear that sort of jangly guitars playing rock, but a little bit thinner than perhaps that sort of chunky riffery that I was used to. You know, mm. I, I feel comfortable using the term indie to describe that. And I'd say, like, at least early Caretaker, before they eventually got to their long-time-coming debut album 12 years later, um, they were, yeah, indie. And uh, and I didn't listen to a lot of that at that point, so yeah, it was interesting to me. Yeah. Do you remember the um, the date that you had on your pause EP? Because I heard from the big man Kev that they only released three hundred and sixty five. Yeah. Because they had a library stamp. I, <laughs> I, I. Do you know what? I should have got all my because I've got everything Caretaker ever released. I should have dragged them down here for this, shouldn't I? I can't remember. I can't remember. Oh. But I will find out and and tell you. And you can put, we'll put it, it in the footnotes. Put it in the footnotes, yeah. But I do remember they had that light. And again, I thought that was just so fucking 
cool. I just yeah. I was their slave right from the start. <laughs> Everything they did, I just thought was the coolest. I loved the artwork, you know. I loved Lipluridon, the fucking ten minute track about their friend who died. I just completely fell into that. I think Safest Houses is on the AP as well. Mm. I loved I loved all of it. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, I love that the. Um... The fact that they only did three six five was pretty was pretty cool to me. Yeah. Um, Kev Kev said that he tried to buy his own birthday, but oh. in his own words, some prick bought him. Oh no! Bought that one instead of him. <laughs> so I really hope you haven't got his birthday. Oh, we'll find out. We'll find out. <laughs> that's really great that that Kev was in there on the ground floor. I mean, obviously that's the connection. That's what we're talking about because they later did a split on uh, Big Scary Monsters. Rick and I. Yeah. Because Rick obviously has gone on to become one of my very closest friends, and he released a couple of Ruben records on bad music. Because I was so enamored of Caretaker, I wanted whatever Caretaker had. I wanted to mm. record our first EP with Place Position, who'd recorded Pause, which would have been completely wrong for Ruben, and I'm glad we didn't. And I wanted more <laughs> than anything, more than anything, to be on bad music, because they yeah. were the coolest label. And I had to bully Rick quite hard into <laughs> not bully him. I pestered him. He wasn't actually swayed. He's... He's got his own mind and he knows what he likes. And it was only when he really found his way into Ruben that he was like, okay, you can have an EP. But um, I've often talked with Rick and Kev about the similarities between Bad Music and Big Scary Monsters. And in fact, between Mm. Rick and Kev, they're sort of quite similar personalities, I find. You know, good businessmen, you know, trustworthy, but to an extent they keep their cards close to their chest, as any good label boss must. Yeah, and maybe that's why I find it so easy to work with Kev and Big Scary Monsters because there's a similar vibe to that very first label that I was involved with, Bad Music. Interesting. Yeah, it's like when those uh, early labels that are on the MySpace world and the, and the forums and the blog posts, it seems to all come from this sort of early adoption of the internet. Do you think? I think I feel like Bad Music was maybe a little bit before MySpace. MySpace was when I was sort of bowing out of the music industry. I think I missed MySpace a bit. I had a bit oh. of it just when it got started, and then I sort of went on my hiatus and uh, missed out on it. I, I don't know about Sacks MySpace labels. I don't think Bad Music ever had a... Did BSM have a, a MySpace page? It must have. 100%. Oh, I think, right. uh, Kev, Kev's gone on record multiple times saying MySpace was the best thing about the music industry. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wants to see Picking Bite of Justin Timberlake. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's, that's a good intro. So what was your favourite release by uh, Caretaker? Well, my favourite release overall, and this took some doing because they've all got um, different places in my heart, I would have to say my favourite release was their self-titled mini-album, which they Mm. put out on Fierce Panda, which, again, I was very jealous of, and I liked Simon from Fierce Panda. um, And we talked about doing a few bits on Fierce Panda. didn't work out. We won a couple of compilations, and we were very friendly with Simon, but didn't end up signing to them. That was, like, the next step up to Fierce. If you got a record on Fierce Panda, you'd graduated... And yeah, and they recorded that mini album. And two thousand and two, I feel. Two thousand. Um, do you know what I looked at it the other day on Spotify, and I think it is two thousand and two. Yes, and I think Rick, Rick or Harry, because I was sort of friends with them by this time. Someone gave me a tape of it, and I heard what's the? Tra- I can't remember the name of my favorite track, Hidden Agenda. Oh man, I heard Hidden Agenda. And it was just so it was, and again, it was like a step up. They had the the sound was a bit more, a bit thicker, but it still had that fragility. And Harry was really unknown to me because I didn't know Harry very well. I know him very well now. 
Uh, he, he was in my band for a while, and obviously I was in Caretaker, and we still hang out. Um, he came in guitar tech for me at Glastonbury, actually, Harry. He'd been getting into heavier music, like uh, Pelican and Neurosis, mm. uh, unbeknownst to me. And so when suddenly there was a bit more screaming in Caretaker, yeah, uh, that was good news for me. But they still sort of stand, they were like indie, still quite indie, but there was an added edge to them, which I think the track Hidden Agenda really exemplifies. And Harry's vocal performance, I'm such a huge fan of his. Lots of my friends, people like Rick and and Harry and other folks, Paul Townsend from 100 Reasons as well is another one. They're, they're my close friends who I've shared many you know, intimate moments with over the years. You know, we're, we're good friends in every sense of the word, but they're also, they remain my idols, you know, as a music fan and especially of, yeah. I think, the music scene that I grew up in was quite fecund, a lot of great music. These people remain my heroes, really. It's quite odd. Mm. So when I go around Harry's house, Harry just sees me as like Jim the Weird Lump, right? <laughs> <laughs> Who once like wrecked his band by playing ba- uh, drums badly for three years. But <laughs> but I still see Harry, and I remind him every now and then, and he it's difficult for him, as like this amazing hero in the mould, in the same Hall of Fame as like Freddie Mercury and Trent Reznor, yeah. you know. I admire Harry so much, and his vocal performance on Hidden Agenda is still spine-tingling. The hurt that he manages to put into his um, vocals about this friend that he feels that has betrayed him, even now, even just thinking about it, I get all goose pimply. And so Hidden Agenda really was, I thought, wow, they've really stepped it up. And then the rest of the album is sort of a greatest hits of other bits. They had Routine, they re-recorded Routine, which had been a previous single, mm. and they re-recorded Safest Houses, which had been on the Pause EP, sounded great. And then um, Backs Against the Vol had had also been on, a, on another Fierce Panda compilation, and Red Mist had been on Big Scary Monsters. There it is. So they, it was it was sort of like a greatest hits that mini album, and yeah, it's still my favorite yeah. one. Just I mean, all their records are great, but if I had to pick one, yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you find it hard to uh, categorize them in terms of what is the best? Well, they, I mean, the thing is because I'm so personally involved with them, having been in them for quite a long time, mm. uh, despite never appearing on any of their recordings, which is really odd and probably quite <laughs> um, a good thing. Uh, they all mean different things, so. You know, the Sign of Four EP, which is a close second, is the EP that I just missed out on. Their drummer had just left when that came out, and I was the new drummer. And I toured yeah. that EP, for better or worse, and we played that EP every night. And then wow. and then on the other side of it, their album, their eventual album, Providence, which is very heavy and miles apart from the pause EP right at the start. I think it's like mm. at least 10 years in between them. That album, I was there for the writing of that. And we, a lot of those are my drum parts. And we toured that as well. When we were sort of promoting um, Sign of Four, which I hadn't played on, we were writing and performing new stuff that would eventually go on Providence. And yet I left just before they recorded Providence. So there's sort of two releases that I'm nearly on, but not quite, if you see what I mean. So what could have been? What could have? Oh, it would have been shit. I mean, their drummer, Sam. It's so excellent. And the first time I went to see Caretaker after I'd left him with the new drummer, I was a little bit afraid that it might be a weird experience, um, you know, like seeing your ex-boyfriend or girlfriend with someone else. Uh, but actually, yeah. they were just so good. They were so excellent that all of that just blew yeah. out the window. And I, I got to enjoy them as as my favourite band again instead of being 
like my job, I was quite unhappy when I was in caretaker. Nothing to do with caretaker. It was all, you know, Reuben were falling apart and my life was falling apart and it was bad timing. But uh, mm. I, I think Sam might be um, caretaker's best drummer. I think he's fantastic. So, yeah, I really enjoy listening to Providence with someone else yeah. playing my drum beats all wrong. <laughs> or just better, played them better. A, a different interpretation of your Let's parts. say that. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, dear listener. How are you? Hope you're doing well. Hope you're uh, enjoying this audio content we've uh, put together for you. Feel like it's been a minute since uh, since you had an advert. So, how about how about an advert? So, talking to uh, our dear friend Jamie Lennon. As you probably know, or if you don't know, Jamie Lennon has a new mini album called King of Clubs. It's coming out on BSM, obviously. It's coming out on September the 25th. It's a, it's a perfect mixture of nasty and nice or, you know, just your general Jamie Lennon vibes. It's pretty good. Um, I'm obviously going to say that. It's pretty good. So register your interest. Get onto bsmrocks.com. Pick it up if you're listening in the future. And uh, enjoy. Anyway. Back to uh, back to me talking to talking to him. Cheers. Did you um, did you ever see them before you joined the band and knew them personally? Oh yeah, I saw them. I saw them almost every gig they played. I was a real devotee. Um, I can't mm. actually remember the first time I saw them play live. I can remember the first time I saw them. I watched their sound check. They were doing a gig. A key to this whole thing is a band from the local area which had been completely swallowed by time called Dreyfus, who were my, also my very good friends. I was very friendly with the drummer, Greg. Um, and they were in the middle of this. While I was trying to be, like I said, the sort of American helmet, silver chair, or their Australian-type chuggy riff thing, that, that I still saw a connection to Nirvana in that. We were all still recovering from Nirvana. And in Farnborough, in order shot, the bands were metal bands. In Farnborough, they were a little bit more um, fragile and experimental. And there was a sort of thing going on with uh, like pavement and the sort of lo-fi thing and sebado and s- spinning off into a slightly more jangly version of what Nirvana had done. It's like n- the Nirvana nucleus got split two ways some bands went with the heavier halves, like, you know, Negative Creep and whatever. And some bands went mm-hmm. with the sort of slightly more itchy um, lo-fi half. And that was what was happening with Dreyfus, who were my friends. And Dreyfus, I loved that band. And they would say to me, oh, Caretaker this, oh, we've got to give Caretaker that. And I'd be like, what? And I didn't know who Caretaker was. And they're like, oh, you wouldn't know. They're some excellent band from over in Peterborough. Petersfield. <laughs> Peterborough is a long way away. Petersfield. And, and Alton, you know, there was some sort of Alton. So they were like a, a very exotic creature to me, Caretaker. And then I met Seb, the bass player, who again, would become a very close friend at the West End Centre. And he was very aloof. He was everything that I wanted in a rock star. You know, he very unaware of how cool he was. And, uh, mm-hmm. he, you know, the, the joke is that when you're teenagers and everyone is sort of uh, itchy and uncomfortable in their own skin. But to me, again, Seb was like a rock god. This like 14 year old kid with big curly hair and blotchy skin. I just thought he was the absolute Jesus of rock and roll. And then I watched them play their sound check because Dreyfus, I'd gone with Dreyfus to play their gig with um, Caretaker. Oh, that's that's Windows 10 for you there, chiming in. Uh, Got to update it or it'll put 
and I saw Caretaker do their sound check. And Harry, just as a joke, someone mentioned the new at the drive-in record, which had just come out, Relationship of Command, and we were all into that. Mm. And Harry just just tossed off the riff from one on scissor like he didn't even care. He's like, oh, yeah, we should do something like at the drive-in, and just played this riff that, like, I could never have worked out in 10 years. And then everyone laughed. It was yeah. like, LOL, imagine playing at the drive-in. And I was like, what? Tell me the chords. You know, but I was just quiet from the back of the room. So immediately I was just overawed with their ability and their comfortableness and I watched their soundtrack I thought it was brilliant and then I can't remember if I even stayed for the gig at that point but over the years you've seen it all at that point yeah I'd seen all I needed to see yeah but over the years <laughs> I would go yeah to umpteen countless countless caretaker gigs to watch them play and I loved them and, I, and all I wanted was to be there like bosom buddies and be their friends but they were a little <laughs> bit cool for me and I don't think they really understand they were sort of caught up in McCluskey. McCluskey, people know McCluskey these days, oh, don't yeah. they? Yeah. And like I say, they were doing the sort of more scratchy, Pixies-esque. They sort of, McCluskey distrusted what Nirvana had done to their sacred Pixies, right? Which I never understood because mm-hmm. I never really got the Pixies. I liked the more sort of poppy, uh, teen-friendly version that Nirvana had created. I'm sorry if this mm. is getting a bit convoluted. I'm I'm trying to... No, explain the minutiae of what was happening in the scene. And McCluskey <laughs> were a sort of... Rea- they're basically a Pixies tribute band, but I loved them, and I thought they were way better than Pixies anyway. And that was where all these guys were sort of aligned. They were, they were in the McCluskey camp. And then when we bagged the tour with McCluskey, because I loved them too, they were really nice to us, but even they didn't really get... And they said as much to us what we were doing. We were trying to go for this sort of sleek, more Nirvana poppy thing with it. And their audiences were very hostile to us. And some of those audiences included, like, Caretaker and some of Mm. their pals. And people who I'm now friends with who gave me a lot of shit, including one gig in Oxford where the heckling got so bad that I think I left the stage to confront the heckler. And we're now good friends. (laughs) And he uh, (laughs) sends me lots of nice records and whatnot. But at the time, there was quite a sharp divide, even within this very, already very narrow niche of rock and roll, between who was making the, you know, inverted commas, real music, and who was making the slightly slicker, poppier stuff. And I think certainly Harry, who, like I say, is now my close friend as well, viewed me with a certain distrust because I was trying to make this poppy version of it, and he was doing the Mm. sort of itchy, weird lo-fi bit. Seb, I ended up becoming friends with Seb first because he lived in a flat with Rick Melia of Bad Music. Um, mm. And so I, when I would go around to hang out with Rick, I, would then, I then became friends with um, Seb and his then-girlfriend, Kate, who ended up marrying Rick. Uh-oh, that was a whole oh. thing. There was a whole scene, man. And, uh, and so then, yeah, and that was my way in. I became friends with Seb. We bonded a lot over comic books. He introduced me to a lot of great comics, and Mike Mignola's Hellboy. We had some great times around that flat just reading comics and listening to Sleater Kinney and um, all this jangly stuff. Yeah, and then eventually I, I became friends with Caretaker, but it took a long time, and I went to a lot of their gigs as essentially a groupie, not really in that yeah. gang and wanting to be in that gang, and eventually, like I do, sort of fell into I, it. I didn't fall into it. I worked very hard to infiltrate <laughs> it. The same thing happened with Down I Go. I, I, that band Down I Go, I saw them on the internet, and I said to myself, I'm going to become friends with these guys. And I badgered them until we're friends. And now I'm on their records and they're on my records and it's fine. But it's, listen, it's hard work making friends. Don't let anyone else tell you different. 
So yeah, I had to try really hard, but we ended up buddies. <laughs> That's a, a lot of uh, early 2000s scene gossip right there for me. Yes, it got really deep, didn't it? Really salacious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hope some people are taking uh, taking notes and taking. Oh my god! No one has it. heard of any of these bands. It's so pathetic. Anyone heard of Geisha? No one's heard of Geisha. <laughs> Alexa Chung. You ask Alexa Chung about Geisha, she'll tell you all about Geisha. Yeah. She was part of that scene. We used to go to the 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 Winchester Railway Arms and watch Caretaker and all these bands. Yeah, Alexa Chung. We were pen pals for a while. This is the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so final final question for you. With all with all that in mind, um, now they're some of your good friends. Yes. Do you have any sort of inspiration from from Caretaker, or is it still a, is it a bit weird that they're your close friends and you are secretly inspired by them? No, it's not. It's not weird. It's fine. I think because when I when I when I became the drummer, it, everything got you know no holds barred, and everything got less weird. Even even though I'm still mm. in awe of Harry and Seb and and John, and Chris, the original drummer and Sam, you know, uh, it's not weird that I'm in awe. For me, maybe it's weird for them, um, <laughs> but you know, the connection still remains. Like I said, Harry, um, Harry was in the heavy mellow band for a long time. He helped me work out what I was doing on Muscle Memory, uh, yeah. even though he never toured with us. And he was in the video for all the things you hate about me. He's the guitarist in that because Chris, our touring guitarist, couldn't make it, so we roped in Harry just to do some miming and grow a moustache. Uh, he's very important in my life, Harry. And um, Seb Seb moved to Bristol. I don't really see Seb very often. I see Seb once a year at Arctangent Festival, and uh, yeah. we have a, a little chat about the old days. He comes and sees my set. It's great. And I did. I got a nice message from Ben Lawson, another another character in this scene, who made the Caretaker website and was responsible. I think he co-released their debut album, Providence. Ben lost another good cat that was always there. Um, he said, he because he lived in Bristol as well, he came to my Thekla show that I did in November last year. And he wrote me a very nice email to say, oh, I came to the Thekla show. I didn't see him there. And it was really nice to hear Coda because Coda is my favourite mm-hmm. caretaker track that was on that Sign of 4 EP that I toured but hadn't recorded. Um, and yeah. that's the track that I chose to cover for Shuffle, which came out on Big Scary Monsters. So now Big Scary Monsters have released two Caretaker songs, even, even if only one of them was actually performed by Caretaker. Because that's a very good there point. you go, there's some trivia. I don't know what anyone's going to do with that trivia. Pub quiz. How many Caretaker <laughs> songs did Big Scary Monsters release? It was like, just one on the Doc Bit Back Part 2. No, two. Wrong. It's Caretaker's two. Coda went on my Shuffle record. And uh, that's a, that was a really big deal for me to uh, mm. play that song because it meant I got to hear it, you know, quite apart from the yeah. fact that I was singing it and playing it. I can hear it at the same time and it sounds great. I can't take any credit for that song. So that's my, that's what Caretaker means to me at present is that I managed to once again make them part of my career years after I, <laughs> I left them. You know, I started out as a fan, then I was in the band then I was a fan again, and now I'm sort of because Caretaker currently aren't performing. So at the moment, I'm the only living, breathing. You know, I'm the only way that music is getting played live. So I'm, I'm sort of. I've ended up weirdly the torchbearer, at least for now, until they rustle something else up. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful full circle of being a fan, joining the band, <laughs> leaving the band, 
and then rejoining the band as yeah, yourself. Yeah, it's a really funny. It's really funny, isn't it? And and if only Harry had been Tekken for me at those shows when I was playing Coda, that would have just been the absolute <laughs> weirdest. But he wasn't available. I did ask him, yeah, but he wasn't available. But we'll see. We'll see. So yeah, it is. That's a funny story. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful place to end it. Sure thing. Sure thing. Thanks so much. You're welcome, Connor. Big thanks to the man himself, Jamie, for taking the time out of his day to talk to little old me. If you missed it earlier in the year, we did a deep dive on the Ruben back catalogue. Yep, that's right, everyone. It's an advertisement at the end of the podcast. If you search brackets in any of your podcast feeds and just search brackets by Big Scary Monsters Podcasts, hopefully it'll come up and that means I've done my job correctly. But if you can't find it, then it's... I mean, we'll probably... It's, it's probably on the internet. So just go on the Twitter... Find it, please. <laughs> it's dead good. Anyway, this episode is hosted by me, Connor Laws, and as always, painstakingly edited by my good friend and hater of all music from 2002, Oscar Livio. Do the things we like, share, subscribe, and please, please enjoy it. Please. Please.